You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Study the word together. We have been in this series in a book of Galatians called Religion Ruins Everything. And it really does. We're seeing how religion ruined the Galatian church. When you follow religion, it causes fights. It causes strife. That's why Christ was all about the gospel truth and grace. Because Galatian churches were doing well with the gospel. They were growing. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation is what they were preaching. But then the Judaizers showed up and they ruined everything by adding the Jewish laws. Jesus plus following the Jewish laws, specifically circumcision, equals salvation. And the Apostle Paul is not happy by this change. In fact, you're going to see some words in this scripture passage that are going to show his frustration. He's not happy in the Galatian churches. And on this particular chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we are going to hear some strong words and some convicting words from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what the passage is going to talk about. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? I want you to, if you could, stand with me as I read the scripture for this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And standing in honor of our Lord and Savior and his word, let's listen to these words. Listen to how strong Paul talks to this church. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are, now, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the work of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospels in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. May God bless the reading of his word and you now may be seated. So today we continue this study of Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. I'm going to go over a few things and they'll be on the screen. They're also on your sermon outline this morning. We will discover that Paul is beginning a new section here in verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 1. In the first two chapters of the book, here's what Paul was doing. He was confronting the false teachers and the false allegations about himself. We, we saw that. In Galatians 1 and 2, there was, there was people saying false things about Paul, and there was also false uh, teachings that were going on in the church of Galatia, in the churches of Galatia, about himself that were being introduced to these churches. He helped establish. As we saw in the last set of verses we studied, verses 14 through 21 of chapter 2, Paul has stated very forcefully that a person is not justified, that is, made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not be by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be made right by the works of the law. Remember these non-Jewish Christians in Galatia were being told that if they weren't following or if they wanted to fully live as Christians, they must first become Jews. That's a problem. Because Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That is, they must keep all the regulations of the law of Moses. 
which includes things like being circumcised and observing all the kosher food rules and all of those things that the Jewish people added to salvation. So here in this new section, Paul's going to provide what we might call a theological argument. Now, as soon as I say a theological argument, many of your eyes will go glazed shut. I don't, I'm not here to talk about theology. And that is the exact problem we have in the Church of the United States of America. We have divorced theology from living Christ. And because we have, we have paid the consequence. Paul is going to provide this argument because it's important that we know and trust and believe in what the word says. So here are some lessons learned from this narrative in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The first one is this, bewitched by false teaching. Look at verse 1 with me again. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, we're going to unpack this in just a minute. But the word bewitched is only used here. That's it. It's not used in Scripture ever again. It means to give someone the evil eye, to cast a spell over, to fascinate in the original sense, holding someone spellbound by an irresistible power. That's the next part of this slide there, Bill, if you could. Thank you. Yes. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul is saying something has gotten a spell over you. Something has, has began to work its, its magic over you, you Galatians. Paul might have said it like the theme song of the old TV show, and maybe some of your minds went to that, as it did for me this week when I read Bewitched. It was one of my favorite, especially on sick days, home from school. My dad would say, do you want to watch Bewitched? Yeah, put it on. That theme song goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Bewitched, bewitched, they've got you in their spell. Bewitched, bewitched, they know their craft so well. The Judaizers. They can twist it and turn it to make you believe just about everything, and they got you under your spell. But on the top of our minds, the answer to Paul's question, who has bewitched you, is that answer, right? The Judaizers. However, in the Greek, Paul's wording here is speaking of a singular force that has gotten to them. The answer really is giving indication that it's spiritual warfare. The devil has used the Judaizers to cause division in the Galatian church. And if you think he's dead today, Think again. The vision is of the devil. It's not of God. It's never of God. It's of the devil. And so the Galatian church here is, it's got this spiritual warfare going on and Paul comes out pretty strong against it because Paul doesn't like to put up with this stuff. He says, are you so foolish to follow Satan that you'll just follow him down any road that he put you on and not care? Paul is basically saying, how could you be, and, and, and this may be offensive to some, and, and I'm going to try to term it down a little bit, but it's really what he's saying is, how could you be so idiotic? Actually, the word here used, and I know parents don't like their kids using this word, but it's, it's what's used in Scripture, stupid. However, he's not telling them that their IQ is in question. Wait, he's calling them stupid and idiotic and he's not calling their IQ in question? No, what he's telling them is, is that you lack severely, Galatian church. You lack spiritual discernment. You just follow any other whim. You could care less if it's the truth of the word of God. You don't use your brains. 
It's not an IQ thing. It's a spiritual discernment thing. These people could be the very smartest people in their, in their field. They could be the, the rocket scientists. I know they didn't have them back then. But they, they could be the rocket scientists. They could be the people who are making big decisions in their business and everything else. However, when it comes to spiritual discernment, they got none. And Paul would probably argue, if he stood here today, that's even more important for a Christian than IQ. It is the scariest place for a church to be. In fact, some of, the, some of the commentators I read for preparation made it clear that if we are separating the spiritual form from doctrine, in other words, ignoring what we know to be true of God and only going with what we feel or we experience, we are heading in a direction that we better put the brakes on. See, I, I have these conversations all the time in ministry. Well, I feel like God's doing this in my heart, but the Word says God doesn't do that. Well, I don't care what the Word says. I, it's in my heart, man. I've experienced it. That's dangerous. Like, you've got to know the Bible to be able to relate to God. And so what the, what the, literally what the Galatian church is doing is saying, okay, we know that he says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We know that he says that there's no way to get to the Father except for him. But we're going we're gonna to divorce that. We're going we're gonna to throw that over here, and we're just going to live like we need to be circumcised and follow the kosher laws. And what we do today in 2023, at least for me, is we get very mad at the Galatians. Don't you get it? Don't you see the difference? Don't you get it? Don't you see the difference? How about you? Oh, if you don't dress this way, you don't, if you have this, you, you can't be this. No, 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 no. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. See, I, I get caught up in that sometimes. I get caught up in, well, if you're not doing this, then are you really saved? And blah, 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 blah. But it's not that. Because what that's doing is divorcing doctrine from Christian living. You know where this really comes into play? And, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. A little bit fear of trembling here is in the realm of tongues. There are churches that believe that the only way you can be saved is if you have the gift of tongues. Find it in there. You can't. But I've experienced it. But I've, but I've this, but I've that, but I've this, but I've that. I understand that. But salvation isn't built on it. And there's actually rules, if you read 1 Corinthians, of what should happen when they happen. For instance, one rule is, is that there should be an interpreter because what does it do for me if, if Debbie stands up here, not to pick on Debbie, but to, I'm going to anyway, um, to, to, and Debbie starts speaking in another language? How does that edify me? I have no word. I have no clue what she's saying. Somebody's got to tell me what she's saying. If she just does it, it doesn't edify the body, which is what the goal of tongues is. And so that is a point where, where, where some have, have literally divorced doctrine from action. I don't care what 1 Corinthians says. I'm going to do it my way, my time, and it doesn't matter. That's dangerous. So Paul is stunned and he's surprised and he's disappointed that these Christians have been so easily duped by these crafty, destructive teachers. Remember how he described these teachers in chapter 1, verse 2? There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
And one of the reasons Paul is surprised and uses such strong language with his readers is the fact stated in the last half of verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed and crucified. Paul's not saying here that the Galatians, and and this is where it can get confusing because I I got confused a little bit this this week, were, were witnesses to the actual crucifixion of Jesus. He's reminding them that when he and Barnabas first came to them, you remember Barnabas, the guy who got duped last chapter? The death of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, was vividly proclaimed in their gospel messages, publicly proclaimed. Every one of them, that is the Galatian churches, knew how Paul had preached about Christ crucified. And so because of that, Paul is dumbfounded that these believers would so easily buy into this false teaching. If being right with God is about what I do, what I can do, then what Jesus did on the cross is ultimately irrelevant That's what Paul was saying at the end of chapter 2 last week with this, the last line of it. It'll be on the screen. If justification was through a law, through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If ultimately what he paid on that cross for us doesn't matter, it matters what I do. It matters that I get circumcised, that I follow the kosher laws, that I do the things that the Jewish people do, then, then this was for nothing. Forget it. If I can win salvation without going to the cross of Jesus Christ, then why is it even important? It's not. We're now free in March. We don't have to celebrate Easter. If we can do it, we don't have to celebrate Lent. If we can do it, it's cheap. You see, because of what they heard from Paul, because of what they first believed, their acceptance of a different message, a different gospel, that acceptance confirms the fact that they are acting like fools. They're acting stupid in a spiritual way. And that's why Paul asks, don't you see It's almost like these Judaizers have put you under this spell. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you, Galatian church? So the logical question that that leads to is the second point of today's message, and how do we break that spell? Because here's what we need to know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but, but I want to kind of set the, the, the guideline. If you think Judaizers were only back in that day, you are, again, sadly mistaken. There are Judaizers in today's church. Now, I'm not going to sit here and point out people and say you're a Judaizer. No, no, no. No, but, but sometimes we all fall into the Judaizer category. You want to know how? Because we make it about what we have done, not about what he has done. And so when we're counseling someone who's struggling in their spiritual life, well, what is some of the things that we say? Well, what have you done? Oh, you've taught Sunday school? That's very good. That means you have another mark up here. That's a very good thing. And it is a very good thing. I'm not downing Sunday school teachers. Do not hear me saying that. But here's the problem. I teach Sunday school. I preach because of what he did for me, not because of what I do. Not because I can live it perfectly without what he did for me. That's the difference. Sometimes we actually in our heads, and I know it's true because, trust me, I've been in this for 20 plus years. I know it's true. In our heads, we sometimes begin to believe just a little bit. I could do this without him. We would never say it. You would not have the guts to say it like I just did. But you do. Because you live like that. Right? We don't ask him who we, what we should teach. We just go and make our decisions on what we should teach. 
What is that saying? God, sit up there. I'll take care of this. It's doing the very thing I'm talking about. And that's the desire that Paul is seeing here in the Galatian church. We're, we're, we're under a spell. Because we all ultimately want to be in charge, right? I mean, you can sit here and look at me like a pious group of people, and that's fine. But you do. That's what started it in Genesis. Remember? Adam and Eve were like, oh, well, we could probably handle it. Oh, I could be like God if I ate of the fruit? Hmm, maybe I'll take a bite. And guess what's been our struggle ever since? Another bite. I'll be my God. I'll do it on my own power. And so the logical question is here, how do we break the spell? Not just how did they break the spell. We're going to see how they broke the spell. But I want to see it as faith church. So here's what it says in verses 2 through 5. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? What he's saying here is, is that remember, they were doing great. They were doing great when they were following the spirit of the living God. They were doing great when the spirit was driving what they were doing. But now the flesh is driving what they're doing. Hence Paul's language. Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit? And work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Now, we discover that Paul goes on to ask the Galatian disciples three questions. Now, you're going to see five or six questions depending on your translation listed here. But I think we can group some of them together. So, in fact, that's what we're going to do. When Paul says, let me ask you only this, I think he means for this to be one multifaceted question. He doesn't mean to go off on six questions. He wants to say, answer the question. Answer the question. But these questions are meant to bring the Galatians to their senses. There's no other play here. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to ask you three questions, six questions, five questions. I'm going to ask you one big question. And I need you to be vulnerable with me. And I want us to think about our own vulnerability, our own weaknesses. Have you been bewitched by the idea of human effort? Have you been put under the curse of performance? It doesn't make sense, but you do it anyway. Right? That's the question I want you to ask. Let me put it another way. Have you ever measured your relationship with God according to your religious, to your religious or moral performance? Have you ever said, I'm pretty good with God because I attended church every week this month? Or I did my devotions every morning? Or could we say, have you ever believed God's acceptance or rejection of you is based on how you will obey or conversely on how you miserably failed him? Those are questions that we have to ask. The temptation is, is there for every one of us. Every single one of us has the potential or dare I say has been bewitched by false teachings. And so before I unpack all three of these questions that I broke into three, that is one multifaceted question, I want you to think about it. I don't just want to unpack these questions because, believe it or not, when I put a sermon together on Sunday morning, I want it to move your heart closer to that. I don't want you to move closer to me because, listen, trust me, I'm the last guy in this building you want to move closer to. 
I want people that are going closer to this. Because in this, you can find perfection. In this, you find imperfection. In this, you can find grace. In this, you find a mixture. Grace for me, but not for you. Same for you. You always want grace, right? But you don't want the rules to be followed for you. You, you kind of want them to bend it a little bit for you. But the next guy, throw the book at him. Throw the keys away. Because we want grace for ourselves. In this, you'll find a, in this, you'll find a perfect mixture of grace and truth. He'll tell you the truth. You really messed up. But then he'll look at you and he'll say, but it doesn't affect how much of son you are of mine. You want to know how I know this? Monday afternoon, I found this out. Brett Kendig, you really messed up. And you were in an accident. I'm not going to mince words here. But on the same token, Brett Kendig, you need to know why you stand on this sidewalk all alone with no one around you and somebody very mad at you. I don't think less of you as my son. I needed that message. It was audible. It was audible. You messed up. But that doesn't take the sonship away. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, the temptation is, is that, oh, I messed up. I'm a failure. God doesn't love me anymore. It's real. You've probably experienced it. It's in understanding our own weaknesses that we need to look at verses 3 through 5. If you make this about the Galatian church and not about yourselves, you have sorely missed the point of Paul. More importantly, you've sorely, sorely missed the point of the Holy Spirit. If you think you can stand here and say, I've never been bewitched, that's a problem in and of itself. I've never believed that it's about me and not about him. Look at verse 2. Let me ask you, only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so the first question is, did you earn God's gift? Did you do this? Besides the one who drove him to do this, <laughs> did you get up on the cross and die? Did you pay the price for all of humanity, for everybody sitting here, for everybody watching on live stream, everybody who's not in church today, everybody who's far from Christ today? Did you pay the price? Paul is essentially asking them, did you earn God's gift? Is there somehow that when you came out of your mother's womb that God looked at you and said, that's one special dude or dudette? And I'm going to give him God's gift because he earned it or she earned it. And you see, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes uh, to every Christian when they place their trust in Jesus Christ alone as both Lord and Savior. Surely what Paul wrote to the Ephesians can also apply to the Galatians here. Here's what he wrote to the Ephesians in 1, 13 through 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, that seal is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
So Paul asks the Galatians, did the gift of the Spirit, that is, did the gift of new life in Christ come to you when you performed properly before our God? When you performed properly according to the law of Moses, did he then give you salvation? They knew the answer to that question. And the answer to that question was an obvious no. No, it didn't come when we performed and did the law of Moses. Faith Church, I love you, and because I love you, let me remind you of this doesn't only apply to the law of Moses. We all know there are times when keeping the rules and doing our religious duty become the sum of our Christian life. We look at our good deeds and we mark them off. How many chapters we've read in the Bible. We count how many ways we are serving in the church. Or we are generally pleased with our overall moral performance. I haven't broken any rules this week. And because of these things, we imagine that God is up there and he's patting us on the back and he's saying, good job, Brett. Let me put a few more stars on your stars chart. You remember those stars chart? I remember them like they were yesterday. I used to love it when Mrs. Kramer in St. David's kindergarten Sunday school class would say, Brett, you earned three stars today. But then comes the other part of that. We all know there are times when our struggles with sin and self and our religious apathy become the ball and the chain and the prison and the jail cell of our Christian life. We look at how far we have fallen, how much we have failed him this past week, and our indifferences and our struggles and our poor moral performance, and we conclude because it's only the right conclusion, if it's good when we're doing good, it's bad when we're doing bad, that God is ticked off at every last one of us sitting in this room. He's sick of us. Maybe that God is ready to squash us. He's ready to give us the judgment that we will give ourselves. We feel weary and we are condemned. It is in those times we need to remember the question that Paul is asking these Galatian Christians. Did you earn God's gift? Did you give it to you? Was it given to you based on how well you were performing? Did God keep it from you based on how often you struggled? The answers are clear. No, 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 no. Never once was it held back from you because you ticked him off. And never once was it given to you in more plenty because you made him so happy. It's given to you in all of its glory. Bar nothing. If you have a relationship with him. New life through Christ came to simply by faith. You heard the gospel, you believed the gospel. You were saved through the gospel. You see, what God did in our lives should affect our view of what God is doing even now. That's what it is. But Paul builds off of that in verse 3 when he asks this question, is your strength sufficient? Look at verse 3. Are you foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? I can almost hear Paul saying, Paul saying it this way in 2023. Really? Seriously? Are you for real? So Paul's building logically here. If they did not earn the gift of the Spirit by the good works, and if the gift of the Spirit is evidence of new life from and with God, then the law, their performance, did not make them right with God. And if that's true about the past... Then according to verse 3, isn't it foolish to believe that in the present we can somehow be or stay right with God by trying to keep all the rules and lean on our good deeds? In some sense, Paul is really asking them, is your strength sufficient? Let's be clear here. Paul wants them to grow. He says in Galatians 4.19, these words will be on the screen for you. My dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
read that scripture passage. That'll give you a sense of what pastors and missionaries feel. We yearn in pains like childbirth for people to grow under our care. Keeps us up at night. I know no woman who gave birth and said, I slept through the whole thing. No woman. It's the heartbeat of our chest. And the Apostle Paul isn't any different in the Galatian churches. He wants them to obey God. He wants them to love each other and love others. If their moral performance and religious efforts could not make them right with God, why do they now believe that their moral performance and religious efforts can keep them right with God? It's almost as if they are telling God, thanks for getting the bike up the hill, God. I could have done it without you, but I'll take it from here. Just step back and watch me go. You know, think of any mountain It's like God helping you up that mountain, you know, riding a bike. And then you telling him to take a hike when you get to the top of the mountain. I got it from here. But going down that mountain without God is very dangerous. You could crash and burn. The issue is, as a disciple of Jesus, is again like riding down those steep twists and turns of an alpine highway. The view is amazing, but without God in control, we are in some serious trouble. What about you? Have you been depending on your strength to get you through? Are you now being spiritually perfected by your own power? Have you been telling God, don't worry, I'll take it from here? Now, Paul is not downplaying spiritual effort. This is the same guy who told the Philippians to do something, and that was to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The life of a disciple is an active pursuit of Jesus Christ. We, but we, pers- we, we accept him by faith and faith that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, are you depending on God's strength and wisdom or on your own? Last, or number three question, are you responsible for God's miracles? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So when I, again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Do you see how Paul is once again emphasizing the role of the spirit of God in the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ? There's a reason for that. In Galatians 5, we'll find out. If the spirit was given to us by grace through faith, and if our own efforts are incapable of making us right, with God or making us pleasing to God, then any obedience, any love, any hope, any joy, any peace, doesn't that sound familiar, is directly from the Holy Spirit. Check out Galatians 5 sometime for the Spirit. Let me read that last sentence again. See if you hear any words. Then any obedience, any love, any hope, any joy or any peace in us is directly from the Holy Spirit. It's not in you. It's not from you. It's not about you. It's about him. I want you to sit back in this moment right now, not too comfortable, and think about the wonders God has worked in your life. Hope to carry on. Joy in our trials. Peace when the storms are raging, love for our enemies, strength to turn away from sin, and a desire to live, not for ourselves, but for God and others, and the perseverance to keep going even when we struggle in these areas. Amen. And God did that in each and every one of your lives, and he still does. 
And so Paul's questions, question to the Galatians in this, in this portion, are you responsible for God's miracles? Does God work these wonders in our lives based on how well we perform by how much good we do? Are God's wonders simply the result of our following his commands? Paul wants them to see how ridiculous that idea really is. God's wonders are gifts of his grace that come through the Holy Spirit as we walk by faith in the performance of Jesus Christ. He did the performance, so we don't have to. He performed on the cross. So my everyday actions are paid for. He has those responsibilities, not me. Last, learning from an ancient example. We're going to close this up fast. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospels in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And when we arrive at this verse 6, we see that Paul is building on that phrase he, he used at the end of verse 2 and 5, the phrase hearing by faith. Being right with God is not so as so many religious claim about our good works. It's not even as certain so-called Christian religions claim about faith in good works. No, being right with God is about faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. You see, Paul's opponents in Galatia wanted to claim the Old Testament high ground, but Paul wants the Galatians to understand something. He actually does something that's a little bit, can I say, sarcastic, and it's funny. They want to point to Moses, but guess what Paul does? Paul says, hey, 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 yo, 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 guys, before Moses was Abraham. He wants to understand that Moses must be understood in light of Abraham. And as he reminds them of the central place of faith, he backs that up from Old Testament. God's work in us comes not based on our religious performance, but through hearing by faith. Just as Abraham believed in God, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We are going to dig deeper, a little bit deeper into that example as we go. We need to regularly be corrected by the ancient example. Being right with God through faith has been, been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. And so, are we following God's plan or our own plan? When you are bewitched by false teachings of the deceptive security of depending on your own efforts... When you are bewitched by the burdensome notion that God is angry with you or has rejected you because of your struggles and failures, I want you to ask yourself these questions. This week, next week, the next month, when you're down on yourself and you're wondering, does God even care? Would you ask yourself, did I earn that? Am I somehow good enough that I should just, you know, automatically get that? Would you ask yourself, is my strength sufficient? Would you ask yourself, am I responsible for God's miracles in my life? Am I responsible for what God does? And you see, the answer to all of these questions must be no. They may not be no now, but they must be. And that no should remind us that being right with God, knowing God was not, was not, is not, and will not ever be about what you can do. It's always about what Jesus has done. He doesn't ever look at us from, from heaven above and say, oh, he should have, he could have, he might have. No, he looks through the cross of Christ and he sees his children just trying to do the best they can in this broken world. And 
And what Jesus has done through his cross and his empty tomb will change us. And how does it change us? It changes us because by God's spirit, we hear and believe God's word. Sometimes we can look at God's word as the, as a, you know, I, I just got to use this example as a Sunday morning bulletin. I could take it or leave it. But you see, just like the Sunday morning bulletin, if you don't read it and you don't know about something, you can't blame the man in charge that you don't know about it. And so like the Bible, if we don't read it and we don't study it and we don't apply it and we don't live by it, there's a lot of Christians that are upset with God because he didn't do what he said. No, he did exactly what he said. You didn't do. You're part of that. He died. He gave the price. There's a part that we have to do. For instance, take up our cross daily. It's the one that we don't like to talk about. That's tough work. But he doesn't change. We do. And something he's teaching me through the book of Galatians is, is that I don't got to beat myself up every day. If I miss the mark, it's paid for. Now, that doesn't mean I go out and try to miss the mark. Because I also understand the Father did something for me in his great love that I could never do for myself. And so it drives me forward to do my best. But I'm going to miss the mark. And he never once sits up there and shakes his head at me and says, that boy That boy of mine, man, he could be so much better. That's a struggle I have. Because some Judaizers someday in my life when I was a young kid got into my head. And so I battle it often. Perform, perform, perform. Gotta be perfect. Let me tell you, the performance game is tiring, frustrating. When you can rest on the cross of Jesus Christ and say, look, man, you did the performance, you took the price, you did everything. All I got to do is follow you. So much easier. So much easier. And some of you are called in the performance game too. Got to perform. Got to be perfect for my, my unsaved relatives. Got to make sure I, got, I dot the I's and cross the T's. No, you don't. He was. You got to point him to them. In fact, there are times in my life when I have to look at my relatives and say, I messed up. But thank God he paid the price. Kids came home on Monday. I close with this story. Freddie abruptly came over to my recliner where I was sitting He put his arm around me. He said, Dad, I heard you had an accident. I lost it. He said, buddy, it's been a horrible day. And I cried. I tell stories of my kids when they miss the mark, and I'm going to tell a story when they hit the mark. 
my son never pulled away from me while I cried. In fact, he cried with me. He said, Dad, it's going to get better. That's what a father and a son can do. When it's not about performance, but it's about being real. And I had to look at my son and say, buddy, today stank. Today stank. And instead of getting judgment, instead of getting, you know, dad, oh, dad, don't say that, don't say that. He just listened. And he cried with me. That's what God will do for you. He doesn't sit there and, you know, tell you how great it's going to be and how all this and all this stuff. He just puts his arm around you and he just says, I paid for it. I want you to be better on the end of this. I paid for it. I'm not going to tell you the 16,000 things you did wrong today. That's God. And so my son showed me what God looks like. And as soon as it happened, I said, mark that down. That's an illustration for this Sunday. Because it is like God. Dad, I'm not going to tell you you messed up. I'm not going to beat you up anymore. I'm just going to love you. And I'm going to let you know at the end of the day, Dad, I got your back. He does the same for us. At the end of the day, he doesn't look and say, okay, well, Faith Church members messed up a total of 467 times today. That church. No, he looks at it and he says, paid, 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 paid with my love. That's the gospel message. That message will change any life. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 